HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Vendors are on all the postcards. Vendors are the ones who are really keeping our streets safe. They're on every single street corner and part of a community, part of what makes a community great. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Dylan Hoyer, a producer for Heritage Radio Network. Today we're asking, how is COVID-19 impacting street vendors? I walked around my neighborhood on Manhattan's Upper West Side to meet some of the area's street vendors. Oh, my husband was a street vendor. He was a disabled veteran. And, um, oh gosh, 15, 20 years ago, I, I met him. And um, when he passed away, I was given the rights to his um, vending licenses. So I've been, I did street vending for a while, and a friend of mine uh, built me this beautiful hot dog cart, and I started selling food uh, about 10 years ago. I wanted to get a sense of what business has been like during the pandemic. Barbara's cart is located near the 86th Street entrance to Central Park, and this is how she describes the past few months. For a while, I was the the only food cart open around the entire Central Park. On March 27th, we just decided that it was a good time not to be out. And we, I was out for about a month and uh, came, was the first one back. Um, it's been a, absolutely devastating. We need, uh, sadly, the, the local people have been wonderful. They've been, you know, trying to be as supportive as possible. But the, uh, around the park, we need tourists, and there's just no tourists. Everybody I talked to said the same thing. No matter what corner they're parked on, foot traffic has been slow. It is a subway, no people in the subway, all right? Everything is slow here, and the school is still closed, too. Anyway, I'm, I'm off from next week, no more, maybe. Yeah, because I'm, I do nothing. Just I work like only two days now, for nothing now. Zidane immigrated to New York from Egypt and lives in Astoria, Queens. He's been a street vendor for more than 20 years. He used to work five days a week, but now he's considering leaving the business behind. 
Manuel works a few blocks north of him. I sell tacos, burritos, tortas, quesadillas, basically Mexican food. He's also struggling to cover expenses for his business and for his family. I have to cover the rent, the, the, the car rent, this van, and it's not enough. And it's not enough. He tells me in Spanish that he's just trying to survive these unusual times, that it's hard for his family and for everyone. In this episode, we're also posing the question, how can New York City uplift street vendors? This includes looking at strategies for integrating street vending into the formal economy, including vendors in coronavirus relief efforts, and organizing across boroughs and language barriers. Hi, my name is Karina Kaufman Gutierrez. I am the deputy director of the Street Vendor Project, and we are a membership-based organization that works to defend the rights and improve the working conditions of the about 20,000 folks who sell food and merchandise on the streets of New York City. They work directly with street vendors to provide various forms of support, ranging from legal representation and legislative advocacy to small business training sessions and community building. Street Vendor Project was founded in 2001, but their mission is more critical than ever. Street vendors were in crisis before COVID, right? What we've really seen happen during these last six months has been every single fissure that was kind of at a breaking point but able to be contained has exploded regarding immigrant justice, regarding racial justice, regarding small businesses. Many street vendors shut down in March and stayed closed for at least a month. And then towards the middle of April, when the governor's executive order about essential businesses and essential workers, like who was considered within that category, came out, street vendors who sold food, produce, um, and other items that were considered essential were allowed to, to go back to work. Um, and again, considered essential workers because they provide an essential, an essential service. Street Vendor Project began triaging. They hosted trainings about how vendors could adapt their business models to allow for social distancing and uphold safety guidelines. They raised money to provide direct cash assistance and set up avenues for food distribution. This independent support was necessary because, although street vendors were considered essential workers, they were excluded from essential services. Street vendors have been excluded from every type of aid that is available, whether it be city, state, federal level, um, whether and it's, it's due to immigration status, it's due to being a small business that uses kind of informal practices or for folks who rent their permits, right, because they can't get one, they don't have the ability to prove that they are indeed the owner of their small business, that they pay taxes. And so I've had an immense amount of difficulty applying for any of the grants and loans available for small businesses. Karina is talking about one of the primary ways that street vendors are excluded from the formal economy. That is, the limited number of permits distributed by the city. Since the 1980s, there has been kind of an arbitrary cap on the number of permits and licenses available to street vendors. 
and you need a permit in order to operate your cart in a, in a way that's recognized as legal by the city. In New York City, there are almost 6,000 permits and licenses available for street vending. Street Vendor Project estimates that there are 20,000 street vendors. You can see how many people are excluded from the formal economy and are not being recognized as the small business owners and contributors to New York City's economy and culture the way that they should be. This is one of those issues Karina was referring to when she said, COVID is not creating new problems, it's exacerbating old ones. Vendors want to be able to work in a way that's considered legal. They want to be recognized for their work. They want to be entering the formal economy, but they're just simply not able to. And as a result of the the limit on permits, folks are forced to either make a decision to, to work without one, risking arrest, risking harassment, risking confiscation of their materials, risking heavy fines, or their option is to rent a permit from someone who was able to get one back in the 80s, right, or has gotten one through the lottery process, and rent a permit for, on average, it's between $20,000 to $25,000 a year. And if you were to just get that permit from the city, it would be $200 every two years. Not only are street vendors being excluded from small business relief efforts, they're being fined in the midst of this period of financial hardship. And so we've been pushing for for the fix-it-don't-find-it approach. Fix-it-don't-find-it has been the mayor's proposal to support brick-and-mortar small businesses, and you know we're, we're advocating for that kind of approach that that trusts that small businesses are doing the best that they can, right, and have the opportunity to fix what they're doing, especially in times as difficult as these, that opportunity also be extended to street vendor small businesses. Street Vendor Project is advocating for the passage of Intro 1116, a bill that puts forward a plan for increasing the number of mobile food vendor permits over the next decade. What the proposal is, is to increase the number of mobile food vendor permits by 4,000 over the next 10 years and to also create um, an office of street vendor enforcement that doesn't include the NYPD. Not everybody supports this bill. In fact, the city council has been debating legislation of this kind for years. Critics cite already crowded streets and a concern that more street vendors will drive prices down and ultimately undercut business for brick-and-mortar stores. Some, including Mayor de Blasio, have expressed concern that raising or eliminating the cap on permits would cause problems by further empowering the black market used to lease permits illegally. Intro 1116 is picking up new traction, however, perhaps in part due to a recognition of the hardships caused by COVID-19. The bill currently has the support of 30 city council members. In August, Street Vendor Project took action to get the attention of City Council Speaker Corey Johnson. And so we, you know, took our our frustration and our hope to, you know, the center of, of New York in Times Square because that's you know where all the postcards show street vending, right? And and glorifies vending as part of the the quintessential New York experience but without giving any support to vendors. And so we held a rally there. 
Um, and a couple hundred folks come, came out and we also wanted to celebrate why street vending is so, so special and so integral to New York. So we had vendors who work in Times Square come through and they were bringing, you know, nuts and folk and, and pretzels for people to eat. We had folks come from the Bronx who were bringing churros. We had a vendor from Queens bring tamales, Evelia. You can hear street vendors chanting in Spanish, Mandarin, Arabic, and Bangla. 90% of the members of Street Vendor Project are immigrants, and these are the languages they are most comfortable speaking. The protest did get the attention of Speaker Corey Johnson, who responded by saying he'll look for ways to support this industry. The gathering was also a sign of resilience. Creating a community that crosses man-made borders and crosses languages and creates connections of commonality from folks who, who are originally from countries across the world is part of the core of our work as an organization. It's part of why we exist, is to build community and create these connections. Street Vendor Project is a member-led organization. Vendors themselves set the objectives and the organization facilitates with support that includes translating across languages so that members can communicate with one another. This was easier when member meetings were held in person. During the pandemic, organizing has been more divided by language groups. But in-person actions like this one in Times Square are an opportunity for this community to come together again and have all of its members represented. Street vendors have demonstrated collective strength during a period in which individuals are more isolated and more vulnerable than ever. And then beyond that, we are also part of a statewide coalition of 170 organizations called the Fund Excluded Workers Coalition. And that's folks from from Laundry Workers Center, from Make the Road, from Nissan Workers Association. These are all organizations whose members have been left out of federal relief and are demanding an end to their status as excluded workers. Thanks for listening to The Big Food Question. Stick around to hear what makes our show possible. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Karina Kaufman-Gutierrez. Angela Salas recorded the video we played from the Street Vendor Project demonstration in Times Square. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, and Jenny Dorsey. This episode's executive producer was me, Dylan Hoyer. Our audio engineer for this episode was Kevin Chang Barnum. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by the Humanities New York CARES Grant, with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.